This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is a Wednesday, hump day, 1st of March. Here's what we've got for you on the podcast today. We're going to be talking about inflation. We're going to be talking about petrol prices as well, because 1st of the month is petrol price change day here in the UAE. What else? Kitopi. The restaurant people, the dark kitchen people, they have bought a falafel shop. The founder, Mohammed Balut, joined us in the studio to explain why. We're also all trying to get a really, really well-paid job in banking at the moment because yet another global financial services firm is setting up here in the UAE. This time it is Edmund de Rothschild from Switzerland setting up in Dubai. The recruitment expert Toby Simpson says you can earn a basic salary of 90,000 dirhams a month and a bonus of three, four, five million dirhams. So stick around if that sounds attractive to you. I've given him my CV, I can tell you that for nothing. Uh, what else is it? Finally, we're going to be talking insurance with Ayman Elhout. Of Marsh. All that to come first up, though, let's jump straight into our top business stories. Let's talk inflation because Dubai inflation dropping in January as transport costs ease amid lower oil prices. Consumer prices fell here in Dubai, bringing the annual inflation rate in the Emirate down to 4.6% of the cost of transport fell. Uh, why? Lower oil prices. Dubai's consumer price index, the CPI, declining 0.61% last month from 5.2% previous month. Latest data from Dubai Stats Centre showing this. So inflation in the Emirate and the commercial tourism centre of the Middle East, if you like, expected to average around about 3.5% this year, down from 4.7% 2022. Ed Bell is the man who's going to give us his thoughts on this one. We asked him for his uh, key economic takeaways. We had a monthly drop in the level of CPI here in Dubai, down by 0.6% month-on-month for January. That brought the annual rate of inflation to 4.6% year-on-year. That's down from 5.2% that was recorded in December. When we look at the breakdown for January, the main drop in last month's CPI was down to transport costs, which fell by almost 9% month-on-month. So that's down to the lower petrol prices we had at the start of the year. Annual inflation in that component has actually slowed remarkably, so it's just down to 4.6% in January. That's down from a high as much as 38% that we saw in the middle of last year. But transport costs can be pretty volatile on a month-on-month basis. We saw overnight the announcement that retail fuel costs would rise for March, albeit marginally, but they still are going to move upwards. So we might see some unwinding of that decline in the transport component of the CPI basket. Ed was also kind enough just to look at some of the other sectors that could cost or would cost more. When you look at things like housing costs, uh, which is the largest bulk of the index, accounting for over 40%, they're up marginally by 0.4% month on month and by 4.4% year on year. Uh, food costs also accelerated at the start of the year. They're up by more than 1% month on month. And the cost of things like furnishing, household equipment, and maintenance, that jumped quite strongly, up by more than 6% month on month. It's not quite clear what's driving the gains in that sector, but it could be due to some changes in thresholds on customs duty, making imports a bit more expensive. Ed Bell of Emirates MBD ain't the only economist having those opinions as well. Uh, How do we know that? Because the Abu Dhabi Economic Summit 
is ongoing at the moment. Uh, inflation across the GCC was uh, high on the agenda of discussion yesterday, um, with all those present saying that uh, inflation has been significantly lower than in most advanced emerging market economies. Um, GCC economies, especially Saudi Arabia and the UAE, are in a, quote, sweet spot with solid underlying economic growth, relatively low inflationary pressures, strong public finances and external accounts supported by high oil prices. Not my thoughts, but the thoughts of Simon Williams, the chief economist at HSBC for Central and Eastern Europe, Middle East and Africa, who was one of the delegates and speakers at the Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi Economic Summit yesterday, which continues through today. You've also got uh, whoa, Martin... Whoa, 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 whoa. Your he, mate Simon's in town. Did he not call? He's a good friend of ours. He was at my wedding. <laughs> why, why, why am I reading about this in the newspapers? Exactly. Uh, he used to be my boss in London when I was an economist 20-odd years ago. Well, there you go. Um, have you got his, can, you, can you WhatsApp him now or I not? I can. I mean, Brandy, you're a good friend of Simon's as well. Obviously not that good a friend. In fact, to, to the point that, when um, when I was on holiday, what, 10 days ago in Georgia, he sent me a message because he was he, he's based in London. He's a Middle East economist. And he was in some like random hotel in Kuwait City and he turned on Dubai One TV to watch the business breakfast. And he watches regularly. And he sent me a message saying, I can't see you on the TV. Where are you? And I said, oh, morning, I'm like skiing with the family, whatever. It's half term. But... Well, he'll be he'll be waking up in the W Hotel. Uh, if he's not awake already, he will be. So there's your camera, Rich. So if you want to speak into your camera, <laughs> just say hi. Quick catch up with your mate. Simon Williams. <laughs> you know where you are. You know who you are. Show us some love. <laughs> he's, he possesses a special set of skills, does this man here to my left as well. He will find you. He will find you. Uh, Martin Tricot, the group head of investment for FAB, is also uh, on the panel down there in Abu Dhabi at the moment. So uh, let's see if we can't chase them down. Um, obviously, talking all things inflation, oil plays, uh, oil and fuel play a huge part of that. Yeah, it was um, petrol night last night, last night of the month. And we did see petrol prices rise, but not as much as they had the month before. So we're up about roughly 1.3-1.4% for super and special. Diesel, though, interestingly, dropped by about 7%. And I reached out to a couple of people last night that I thought probably had a couple of trucks, a couple of vans maybe, that were diesel to see what impact it would have on their business and therefore on the prices that we pay for things like food. One of those was Tom Harvey, the commercial general manager of Spinney's. And I said to him, uh, is it going to be good for you? And therefore, is it going to be good for us? He did welcome very much the drop in the price of diesel, but he explained to me that it was only part of a much bigger picture. This is a price reduction that is specific to the UAE though, so it really only affects the cost element of the diesel going into the trucks that will go from our distribution centre to our stores, which in the scheme of the overall cost of freight and bringing products from all over the world to our customers is actually quite small. And it is a cost that moves up and down every month. And so we won't be reflecting this in our prices in just the same way as when the prices have been going up, we haven't been putting that through to the customer. But it is welcome and it does send a sign of the encouraging trend for lowering costs in the, in the prices of goods, um, particularly with the air freight where there is again 
an index linked to the price of oil on the fuel surcharge that we pay. And when these things are coming down, it certainly will, over time, start to make a difference in the price that people are paying for their goods. Right. So that is moving food, Tom Harvey of Spinney's. What about moving stuff? We know there's a massive real estate boom going on at the moment, people buying, people moving, rents going up. We spoke to Siddhi Joshi, the CEO of eMovers, and I asked her what lower diesel meant for the moving industry. Any amendment in diesel prices will have a direct impact on our operating cost, profitability and overall financial health. Currently, a fall in diesel prices will lead towards reduced operating cost, which will free up our cash flow. Sweet Kelly's joining us live in studio. We'll get more on the uh, fuel price in just a little while, but uh, let's get more from Expo City. What more can you tell us? So we're heading into the next phase of the transformation of Expo City Dubai. Are they going to soon be sharing plans for residential developments, which include apartments, townhouses and villas? So Expo City Dubai will offer residents the chance to live in the heart of its proud legacy city, an integral hub in the Dubai 2040 Urban Master Plan, of course. So keeping within the theme there'll be clean green integrated communities with a focus of course on well-being and sustainable living so with all expo city dubai's attractions right on your doorstep they also mention educational cultural and entertainment offices leisure facilities dining options and event venues they've also spoken about a 10 kilometer uh, worth of cycling tracks, five-kilometre running track, and, of course, children's playgrounds as well. They released a teaser campaign yesterday. Full details of the developments will be revealed with the opening of their sales centre that will be located in the sustainability district that's opening on March 15th. But there is also a contact for any potential buyers, and they can get in touch, but you can find the details for that contact on the Area News Centre website or app as well. That's what's happening at Expo City. Meanwhile, what's happening out there with the weather? We were told it was going to rain. Yeah, so obviously we, we did talk about the weather yesterday with forecasters mentioning um, chance of rain, um, obviously increased uh, weather condition, uh, sorry, uh, strong winds as well. But according to the National Centre of Meteorology, it's going to be partly cloudy and overcast at times today. Yellow and orange alerts have been issued. So that's regarding cloud coverage. So that means the chance of rain over some parts, possibly. Rain also means uh, expected drop in temperatures as well. So just, again, watch out for those uh, changing speed limits on the roads in adverse weather conditions because they're usually updated on electronic signboards. But of course, this is all off the back of yesterday when we were discussing adverse weather conditions, possibly in place until Friday. Take a brolly with you. Uh, Serena, thank you very much, Steve. People want more? Just check out the Area News Centre app or all our socials. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. So let's talk kit up if we can. The world's leading tech-powered multi-brand restaurant uh, have been involved with one of the largest F&B transactions the GCC region has seen well, like ever. Uh, why? Because uh, they have announced and are announcing today the acquisition of a leading F&B group. To tell us who that group is, uh, the whys, the whens, the wherefores, we are joined and happy to say to be joined live in studio by the CEO and co-founder of Katopi, uh, Mohammed Balut, who joins us live here in studio. Mohammed, thanks so much indeed for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So who is it? So we would like to announce today the acquisition of Ouch. Um, Auge is behind leading brands like Operation Falafel, Awani, Catch, Sushi Do, and, uh, and many other leading brands in the region. 
Ouch, an interesting uh, organisation. Obviously, Dubai founded as well, so another local success story, much like uh, Katopi and all the team there as well. Um, why Ouch? Why Ouch? So Ouch felt, 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 felt really well within that strategy we have of, of, um, of satisfying the world's appetite uh, uh, and creating joy. Uh, so one of the things we wanted to do is continuously build out content that customers want, and and this happened to have you know great content along cuisine types that we felt was relevant um, to to what our customers are looking for. It's interesting, isn't it? Because they've been in the market since 2014, Katopi in the market since 2018 as well. You've seen extraordinary growth, and we're going to get onto that uh, very shortly as well. When you look at organisations like that, do you look at their sort of the history in the market and therefore their understanding of what the UAE, the GCC market wants? Yeah, so they, they had loved brands. They have, they've been able to, over the past uh, nearly decade now, build out great brands that customers love. And that's what we care most about, right? So they've managed to scale these brands across you know, multiple markets, which was also something very relevant for us. So it wasn't just a local hero, but they managed to bring their brands over to multiple markets, uh, and now even in New York and, and, and the UK. Uh, and so that's exactly what we're trying to do too, right? So trying to take our brands and and scale them across everywhere everywhere we go. In terms of the acquisition at the moment, obviously Auge, well-known here at the moment, uh, and the brands I'm assuming come now under the portfolio of Kotopi as well. It's a large organisation though, over 1,300 employees. They become part of the Kotopi family as well? So something maybe people don't know is that we've done 18 acquisitions in the past 18 months, right? So we've been pretty active in, in, in investing, acquiring great brands from the region and rolling them up to kind of the Kitopi platform. And, uh, but Aouj was a pretty different exception here because of the size of the business and the scale of, of what they are and, uh, and how fast they're growing. Mm. So we took that conscious decision to keep them relatively independent so, so merging in our, our, our tech infrastructure, merging in a lot of our culture, but keeping them for the most part as a team independent uh, to run pretty fast. You're not obliged to tell us how much you paid for Auge, but you are more than welcome to if you wish, Mohammed, this morning. Yeah, so so uh, let's just put it this way. This is a brand that uh, serves you know, tens of thousands of orders uh, a day. And uh, and is available in uh, in and you know n- now nearly thirty locations, and uh, and hopefully we should double that count by uh, by end of the year. How does this work for your ongoing strategy at the moment for Katopi? So if you think about how we spent the first three and a half years, so we just turned five, but first three and a half years, our our full focus was to build out the infrastructure, that underlying layer of being able to cook for multiple brands in one site in order to get um, you know, the right customer experience, the right operating metrics, the right financial metrics out of every single asset. And so that was the first focus, first three and a half years. With time, we realized that we wanted to really evolve the content. Again, thinking about what do customers want? How do we get the right content? Content being the right brand mix to serve the customers. And in that strategy, we realized that we'll probably have a, you know, let's license the best brands out there. Let's franchise them out. But let's also own some of that content. And so some we buy and some we build. Uh, and, and so that fits really well within our strategy of providing customers you know, the best brands out there. Your expansion policies. Um, I know that uh, founded here in Dubai, offices in KSA as uh, well. Um, y- you've got presence globally. 
recently as well. Is that something that you will be looking to expand moving forward? So this is a very exciting region we're in. So we're super proud to be Dubai headquartered. We'd want to really double down on the region here. Uh, Saudi Arabia is a, is a very big growth, uh, a growth story for us. And we want to double down there as well. And, uh, and there's so much more room to grow in the region. This is one of the best regions in the world to operate in food. Why? Because you have customers who on average have a relatively large basket size compared to most parts of the world. So customers are spending a lot on food, but you also have something unique with, a very, with an average low fulfillment cost. So the cost of producing food is significantly lower here than other parts of the world. So this presents a really good opportunity for businesses to, uh, to operate in a very healthy, sustainable way in this region. So we're going to double down here. It was, it, which is an interesting one because, I mean, one of your sort of mantras from the start, as you mentioned, congratulations on the five-year celebration and the rapid growth of Katopi during that time as well. But one of your things that you've always st- been steadfast about is promoting the region's much-loved brands and using that as a sort of vehicle and, and, and a, something that sets you apart. I suppose the question is, are those brands only much loved here in the region or could you take those brands further afield? So this is what presents... Like why we thought of Auj as a, as a great target to, to, to bring into the Kitopi family. And, and that's because there's a you know, particular brand there, Operation Falafel, that we thought has the potential to be a global brand. If you think of today, you know, brands that have su- su- successfully scaled across the world, you think probably think McDonald's, Subway and the likes, Starbucks, the likes. One of the things that we're trying to do with Operation Falafel is turn it into you know, a Mediterranean, Middle Eastern homegrown brand that's scaled up globally. So, the, and, and we've already been, we're now in New York, we're in London, and we want to continue growing this brand globally. So it's Operation, Operation International all of a sudden. It is, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mohammed, I love what you're saying about Operation Falafel, but we've been doing this show for a long time, and we've seen this movie before with just Falafel. People with long memories know that did not end well. Ambitions to take a Falafel brand global. So what's, what, what lessons can be learned from just Falafel and what's different this time? So maybe I won't comment on just Falafel, but I can tell you what we are doing differently. So what we are doing uh, with, with Operation Falafel is focusing on the foundation. So, you know, we're doubling down the region. So this is a brand that has been consistently delivering great like-for-like growth across, you know, every store it's in, in the region. And, and that's something we will continue expanding in the region and building out on the, on the fundamentals, right? So being able to replicate how we operate here in any market we would operate in. And that's what it comes down to. It's not about just let's open up 100 locations in every single city and sign franchisees. So most of these stores, actually nearly all of these stores, we operate ourselves. And that's something that's really important in building out the the fundamentals of a business and and making sure that we can replicate what we do everywhere we are uh, versus just signing up franchisees anywhere in the world. Mohamed, we're out of time on this occasion, but can't thank you enough, A, for coming on into the studio, B, for announcing it here on the Business Breakfast this morning. Congratulations on the acquisition and congratulations for what stands in the future. Thanks for having me. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's get some more detail on one of our top stories this morning. Edmund de Rothschild, the Swiss investment firm, the latest global financial services company to set up here in the UAE, either in Dubai or Abu Dhabi. They have picked Dubai. They've got a license and they are going to be hiring finance experts over the next few years. Joining us in the studio to talk about this trend is the recruitment expert, Toby Simpson from Striver.app. Toby, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. A pleasure as always. It seems every morning we pick up a newspaper, turn on the radio, and there's another story about a finance firm moving to the UAE and hiring hedge fund managers, bankers, whoever it may be. What's going on? Well, uh, our banker friends tend to follow the money. So uh, there's, um, 
there's a good number, I think 4,000 millionaires or just just this, you know, just last year alone, an 18% increase in Dubai in the number of millionaires. So uh, uh, the bankers pack their suitcases and follow them around the world. And, and this is where, it's, where, where it is to be if you're a private banker now. Okay, so the, we, we talk about finance professionals, but there are many different hues. There are salespeople, the private bankers, if you like, but there are also investment professionals who make decisions about where to put money. What are we getting at the moment? That's a very good question. Uh, and unfortunately, we're only getting the sales guys. I say unfortunately, the sales guys are lovely people, but I would love to see much more investment operations actually happening here in the UAE. It tends to be the funds are invested and administered in London, in Switzerland, wherever it might be. And it's, you know, the, the, the private bankers are over here seeking Middle Eastern capital to send back to funds in Europe, in the US, in the Caymans, in the, in, you know, Jersey, Guernsey, those sort of places. Well, I'm going to bring in Brandy here because, Brandy, you've been looking at this story, haven't you, and the type of people we're hiring here. And traditionally, that was the case. We'd get the the salespeople, the private bankers, call them what you will. But you've been hearing, haven't you, that actually we're starting to get the the quant people, the people who are making decisions about where to put the money. What have you heard? What have you learned? Okay. Well, this is exactly, funny enough, what we were discussing at IP Week um, down at the uh, Museum of the Future when we broadcast from there um, God, about a month ago now, was it? Ish. And speaking to Salman Jeffrey, who is the Chief Business Development Officer down at the DIFC, and he was saying, Brandy, there's one really big change that I have, have seen, and it's who is being brought in for these hedge funds. Yes, there are more people, and that is great, but it is also important who the people is. Um, and he was saying, it's less on just the the sales side, you know, have product, will sell. And he said it's really the brains that are coming now. It's the people who are developing the products. It's the people who are making the decisions. Um, It's the smarts, if you like, of the organisations rather than just the sell. Well, great to hear. And, and, and you know, I've, I've seen this a couple of times since I moved here in 2007 of, of large asset management firms saying they're going to move um, people over here. And you never really get too much. You might get some sort of sell-side coverage uh, analysts that will uh, dish out reports. But I, I've never seen large operations moving over here. However, the thing that's really changed over time is the... Uh, is the quality of the markets over here, the quality of the offering of, of listed indices. So you have a lot of, on the private side, you have a lot of private equity over here and investment bankers running an M&A, but asset management or structured funds is, is not something we've seen a, a great deal of. And, I, you know, I'm hoping that, so the story we were looking at was Edmund Rothschild and they have not just private banking, but also asset management and they sell some very interesting products. And if they can start to bring that over here and start doing more in the Middle East, that would be great. Okay, so let's talk about two things. Firstly, how much are these guys earning, the guys that the likes of Edmund de Rothschild and others are hiring, and how do we get those jobs? Yeah, how do we? There's definitely been an increase in the number of flashy sports cars, and I think it's, it's not just the millionaires moving over here, but some of the bankers as well. Um, well, to give you an indication, uh, a very similar role uh, I did recently. Um, uh, the, so what tends to happen with the private bankers or the sales side is compared to their kind of peer group at a, at a level they don't earn as much in fixed. So, for example, uh, managing director level candidate was earning uh, $300,000, which is about 90,000 dirhams, which is great. Okay, it's, it's, that's it's a not, basic salary. That's a basic salary. Um, the, the bonus with, with the private bankers tends to be very structured. It tends to be very like, almost commission-based. So, for example, this guy, his, um, if his team brought in uh, $500 million, uh, the kind of placement fees around that would have been about one and a half percent. So they would have brought in seven and a half million US dollars in commission, and he'd get ten percent of that. So 
he'd hit that number by the beginning of the year. So he was, uh, so what he would have been on, um, a pro- well, probably about a million US dollars in in uh, sorry no more 1.5 million US dollars in in bonus and 300 in base. Right. Okay. So do that's... you have a number? <laughs> exactly. So these are going to go to, but at the start of it, you're, you, the salaries aren't, you know, aren't particularly glamorous. After done five, six, seven years of really hard work in in sort of the lower end of private banking or or uh, securities sales or that sort of thing, um, then you would go in and the, the salaries around the, the beginning of the trajectory are thirty-five to forty k. The the weird thing here, and it's the frustration as a headhunter, is you have this enormous concentration of. Um, Banks offering enormous amounts of money to a very few individuals who claim to own relationships. So there are a few whales out there, the ultra high net worth individuals, and the bankers that claim to have those relationships and have a track record of, you know, a billion, two billion US dollars in in in, in sort of funds that have flown through them over the past year. Um, then they get enormous amounts of money. Whereas really strong potential individuals with really good technical skills and you know and probably a real really good sales mannerisms don't get there. So you get this. For me, a disparity in in the way that the firms are approaching it. You know, they could have have four really good people, but they decide to go with one with a bit of track record. And clients don't always follow their bankers. And Toby, they miss this time and time again. We're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Toby Simpson from Striver.app. Appreciate that. On the back of Edmund de Rothschild, Swiss investment firm, the latest finance firm to set up here in the UAE. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we're looking at a new report this morning at the cost of medical procedures and therefore health insurance. Medical claims and costs are on the rise, according to this new research from Marsh. We are joined by the Marsh UAE CEO, Ayman Al Hoot. Ayman, good morning. It's lovely to see you. Good morning. When you say that costs and claims are rising, can you put that in context for us? At what kind of pace? Uh, well, it's increasing. At, uh, it's rising at a very increasing pace. Um, it uh, went down during the COVID to around five percent, five point seven percent. Now, in twenty twenty two, it went up to around fifteen percent, and we're expecting twenty three to be around thirteen point eight percent. So that's the pace of increase that we're seeing in, in the Middle East and Africa region. How much of that increase is due to the fact that during COVID, people necessarily couldn't get procedures done because the hospitals were were busy with COVID, and now we're we're getting stuff done that might have been put on the back burner and how much of it is that costs themselves are increasing? Well, uh, the delayed diagnosis is definitely one of the factors, especially in chronic cases where they were not de- diagnosed earlier. So the cost of treating uh, these chronic uh, ailments uh, has increased uh, dramatically. The other factor is the regular, the inflation, inflationary increase in, in medical uh, costs, the increase in prices of hospitalization, uh, medication, etc. And the third factor is over utilization of the uh, medical services. So these three combined uh, increase the cost dramatically. And I understand from your report that those delayed diagnoses actually mean that things, uh, because they're caught at a later stage, just become more expensive to treat. True, true. Yeah, you're 100% right on, on, on this one. Because 
uh, the, the more you go, for example, take, take a cancer case, the more you go deeper into, into a cancer case, the more costly it will be and the more um, uh, longer it, it will take to, to treat uh, and to get recovery. Well, the Middle East and Africa is obviously a wide and varied area. Do you have any sort of insight as to where the UAE falls in these numbers? Well, UAE is, is quite on the high side. Uh, we're seeing increase in, in policies ranging between a 7 to 20 percent uh, in, in, in premium rates that, of course, they're depending on the, on the loss ratios of, of each policies. But we're seeing up to 20 percent in, in certain cases. The lowest we've seen is around 7 to 8 percent. So what does this all mean for the companies that are paying for health insurance? Well, th- that's always a, a conflict between the, the HR and, and the finance uh, departments because the, the HR want to maintain the benefits or, or increase the benefits, but what, uh, at the same time, the finance department want to suppress the, the cost. I think uh, companies should not look at cost saving, but rather they should like, look at cost optimization and finding the right balance between being the uh, attracting talent and, and uh, uh, covering their P&L. What are they actually doing here in the UAE? What are you seeing? Are companies buying cheaper policies? Are they downgrading? Very few have downgraded. I can say that during COVID, some have downgraded from multinational uh, plans into regional plans because they didn't need that. But the companies that needed that kind of cover, they maintained the plans. To, to the contrary, we have seen requests for improving plans, especially, for example, increed, uh, increasing uh, benefits or adding uh, uh, wellness or adding um, uh, mental uh, mental health is is, is also a, a definitely a big factor into that. That's a really interesting one because whenever we speak to people about insurance, we get messages saying insurers don't cover mental health and then insurance brokers will explain to us the insurers will cover it, it's just that the companies aren't willing to pay for the policies that have that coverage. Where are we now? Uh, not all insurance policies cover that, so that's why we, we need to be careful and discuss that at the time of renewal or, or discussing the insurance policy. And uh, I would say, uh, although coverage is, is available, there are still certain challenges in providing the service that insurers are, are working on, like, for example, accessing the hotlines for consultations, etc. So it, it's still a challenge in, in certain areas, but definitely moving positively in the the right trend. How much more expensive does it make a health insurance policy? Well, not much. If you look at the, the overall costs and benefits, uh, it's, it's not, not, not a, a very big part of the expense. Do we still see companies chopping and changing between insurance providers? Maybe 10 years ago, we saw a lot of it. People would move for, for better welcome deals, better entry deals. Does that still happen? It, it depends on which segment of the market you're looking at. If you're looking at the, the middle segment where uh, it's, 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 a, it's a bit tight, yes, uh, and if you look at looking at the SMEs, yes, there is a lot of movement. But if you look at the large companies, no, we, we see the, the longer trend of staying with the same insurer because they're getting an excellent service. What are we seeing in terms of people paying for their own insurance? A lot of the new visas that we have here now, the chance to be an entrepreneur, work from anywhere, work for yourself, you also have to provide your own health insurance. Are you seeing an uptick in individual insurance buying? That's an interesting trend because driving the economy by bringing in more people requires different types of insurance. And recently, one program has been released to reduce the costs for, for individuals and give them the ability to top up. So I 
I think the, the future trend, whether for individuals or for companies, is to have top-up schemes to their existing insurance plans that will give the, the benefit of both having a benefit and at the same time saving on the, on the cost for the employers. What about at the other end of life? One of the things held up as a potential sticking point for making this part of the world a retirement destination is the cost of health insurance as you get older. What could bring that down? Well, that's pretty tricky. I'll I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I don't see much plans uh, covering, really providing uh, the right coverage for retirement. I think that's an area for improvement for both uh, brokers and insurance companies to work on. There are plans, but if you want an honest opinion, it's not up to the level of expectations. So with inflation being such a hot topic at the moment, what does this mean for who's going to win within companies that war between HR and finance? What do you expect to see this year? I don't think it should be a war. I think it should be a balance because if you look strategically at your talent, everyone is competing for talent. And if you want to be an employer of choice, your medical scheme is part of your offering uh, and, and, and your package. So you need to have that kind of strategic look, balancing. And as I said earlier, optimizing costs rather than saving on cost. Is that happening though? I mean, are you seeing this being used as a retention tool? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Especially where you have strong uh, HR, strong strategy for, for talent and acquiring the best talent that you can get. It's definitely one of the strategic initiatives in, in any big organization. You talk a lot about the small print in this report as well, the admin in the small print. As costs do rise, and as you say, there is um, a little bit of over-medicalisation maybe going on in this region, what do companies need to pay attention to in the policies that they're buying? What do they need to be reading in the small print? I, I think the key behind all this is number and analytics. If you are able to analyse the utilisation of any policy, okay, th- then you'll be able to, to recommend how to move, where to move, and what kind of changes you can do, do to that policy and consequently opt, optimize on, on, on the savings and really put the money where it should be. And th- that's the key because sometimes we buy benefits, insure, uh, clients buy benefits that they don't need. So really discussing that with your consultant, with your broker uh, would make a big difference. What about COVID-related issues and long COVID? I've got about 30 seconds left with you. Are insurance policies now covering these? In UAE, it, wa- it was covered to a, to a good extent. I would say. But the ongoing issues from COVID? Ongoing issues, it has to be covered. That's our opinion and that's where we support our clients to get the coverage. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Ivan Elhout is the UAE CEO for Marsh and we've been chatting this morning about a new report looking at what's happening to insurance claim costs. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.